Father in heaven, I need your help for what is ahead of me. Give me the strength to try. Give me the courage to fail. Give me this breath. Give me this lap. Give me endurance to last. Give me the race. Give me this day. Well, good morning. It's good to see you guys. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us right now uh, from an offsite campus or internet, wherever you happen to be. We're glad that you're along with us. And I just want to say a quick word of condolences to all the Clemson fans. And that's all I'm going to say about that because there's always next year. Okay, I'm a Cubs fan, I know that. Uh, got a couple of housekeeping things uh, to uh, kind of give you before I get into what I wanna talk about today. Uh, first of all, as you guys know, church planting is one of our values here. We created an organization called The Ark. We plant churches, we planted uh, right at 900 churches. In fact, we may be over 900 now. But there are, there are 19 brand new church plants in January, and so we're excited about that. Life-giving churches all over America and North America, uh, so we're excited about that. And speaking of art, we're gonna have our art conference here uh, April the 21st and 22nd. This thing sold out like, like, like this. I mean, literally within minutes, uh, this building right here, which seats a little over 2,500, all the seats sold out, and so we opened up our old Auditorium seats about 1,300, and all but 200 it, seats sold out on that right away too. We held back a couple hundred seats so we could we could uh, we we could promote it as it comes up closer. So we're having nearly 4,000 people, leaders who will be here. So the greatest speakers in America. It's going to be an awesome time. What we want to do as a church is we want to host very very well. We want, we want those who come to feel like it's the best experience they've ever had. Would you agree with me on that? Is that, that a good idea? Yeah. About 20 people agreed, and that's good. Um, so so what, what we're gonna do is we're gonna have an ARC dream team, okay, for those two days. You don't have to come all day, both days. Some people will, but um, uh, j just any part of it. And uh, we'll have a special place set up in the chapel where you'll be able to see the speakers. But ma main thing we wanna do is just greet people. Make them feel warm and show them where things are. And uh, we only have 425 spots available for that. And uh, 100 of them went last night. So they'll be done by today probably. But if you would like to do that, um, here or in the campuses, come down and spend a couple of days in Charleston or if you're in the Charleston area. But you can text... ARC, A-R-C, to 320-320, okay? A-R-C, 320-320. You can be, be a part of the ARC uh, dream team. W one other uh, housekeeping note. We, we, we uh, did a legacy offering in December, month of December, as you remember, and uh, they finally got it all counted, and you guys gave uh, legacy outside of this place. You guys gave almost $1.2 million in an offering, which is just absolutely amazing. And 
So we wanna say thank you, thank you. How many of you have ever experienced culture shock? Anybody ever experienced, you know, you go to another country and the customs are different or you go to a new job and the culture is totally different. It can be in a church. Some of you are experiencing culture shock today. I didn't realize they did church like this, okay? Uh, culture shock, where what we're used to, is it, it's so much different than what we're used to, um, we're kind of shocked by it. I, uh, when we moved to Charleston from northern Illinois, originally from Chicago, or, or from the Denver area, and then went up by the Chicago area, and then down here, it was culture shock. I gotta tell you, everything was different. The language was different, y'all. Versus you guys. How many Midwesterners know everybody's you guys, okay? And some, some places where you're from, it's use guys, okay? But y'all, y'all's a much better word, by the way. It's gender neutral and it's great. Um, pop or Coke. We, we call it Coke or pop, soda pop. It's iced tea down here, okay? Sweet tea, sweet tea. Uh, barbecue. I remember when I was invited to my first barbecue, I, I, I said, I can get this. I can get this, because I know what a barbecue is. It's a, an outdoor grill that you cook hamburgers on. That is a barbecue. Here in the South, a pig is gonna die for you in order for you, know, you to have barbecue. I remember, I, remember the, I was the young adult director at Northwood Assembly, and three weeks into our deal there, I announced that we were gonna have a clam bake, which is actually an oyster roast. I had no idea. You know, I didn't know what an oyster was or that you would even eat those things. And then, and then coming from the Midwest, I thought, bless your heart, <laughs> meant someone legitimately cared about your well-being. <laughs> Behavior was different. I've told you guys before, we were here a couple, three weeks, and I'm at a stoplight, and evidently the person ahead of me didn't see it turn green, and I just helped them. You know, just a little... Beep, beep, it's not a nah, but in the Midwest for eight and a half years, it's you help people. And my, my wife said, do you hear anybody else honking? I said, no, I don't. It's a polite city, I had to learn that. These days, if you hear somebody honking, what do you know about them? They're not from here, okay? <laughs> Dress was different. I, um, I'd never been down here, really. I mean, I've made one trip down here. And uh, so I had no idea being in Northern Illinois, you know, and I knew that they dressed different down here. And so I researched a little bit, and uh, the only, only thing I knew about the South was a television show at the time called Miami Vice. And uh, so I went, I went into Chicago and I got me some, I mean, I, got, I looked like, you know, I, it, I got orange. And it wasn't Clemson orange or Tennessee orange or even Texas orange. It was Crockett orange, as in Sonny Crockett. In fact, I come sporting that my first week into the new church or into the church in North Charleston, and one of the elders called me the Illinois pumpkin. <laughs> and uh, and they took me to they took me to Belks, and they said we're going to get you a Charleston outfit. You know what a Charleston outfit is? Blue blazer, khaki pants. <laughs> Button down, penny loafers, and you've got to have one of these, a palmetto belt, right? <laughs> Culture shock. It was just different here. Wasn't worse, 
It was just different. Uh, I remember going to India. I used to go to India every six months uh, for about almost six years teaching leadership principles. And every time I'd get off the plane, total culture shock to me. Wasn't worse. It was different. It was different. I didn't understand the language or the food or the custom. Now, sometimes, sometimes culture shock can be a bad thing because, um, because it's not just different, it's wrong. It's wrong. We'll talk a little bit about that today, but here's what I do know about culture. I didn't know anything about culture when we started Seacoast. In fact, all I knew was that, uh, was vision, and sold vision, sold vision, sold vision. And what I know today is this, is that culture always trumps vision. Culture always, you can, you can have a great vision and a toxic culture will kill it. When there are intended but non-implemented cultural values and practices, it erodes vision's effectiveness. In other words, when you say what's important but you don't do what's important, it weakens the vision. That's true in your company. That's true in a church. It's true in a culture. No wonder Jesus spent so much time talking about culture. Jesus talked vision just a little bit. He talked to you about, you know, told the disciples that I've gotta go away, but where I'm going, you can come also, and there are many rooms in my father's house. And he talked about the future a little bit. He talked all the time about kingdom culture. He would say, you know what, the kingdom of God is like, what, faith is a mustard seed. Kingdom of God is like, is like a mustard seed. He would say, if you wanna enter the kingdom of God, you gotta come like what? As children, attitudes and all that. Because, because what he wanted to emphasize is that kingdom culture is like very, very different than the culture that is around us. Um, in fact, in the second phrase of the model prayer that we've been studying for, this is our third week now, Jesus tells us to pray that we get kingdom culture right. It's Matthew chapter six and verse nine and 10. Um, can we read this one out loud? It'll, it'll be up on the screen. Let's read it together. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He says pray what? that the kingdom come. He's talking about kingdom culture. And that his will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let me give you a couple of assumptions that I have. Uh, I call them kingdom assumptions before we kind of jump into how to apply what he says. First, apparently it's possible for God's will not to be done on earth. If God's will was being done on earth all of the time, why would Jesus say to us, pray, that his kingdom come and pray that his will be done. God's will isn't being done all of the time. Obviously, that's the case. Someone sold into sex trafficking, is that God's will? No. There are abuse, uh, abuses that happen, is that God's will? No. God's will is not being done all the time. You say, well, I thought God was in charge. God was in control. Well, he is. Ultimately, ultimately in the big picture, 
God's will will be done, but we control a piece of it with our prayer. We control also with our behavior, sometimes the timing of God's will and whether it will happen like it does in heaven where we live. For instance, I uh, was talking to a, a parent the other day and they said that um, they were gonna, they wanted the kids to clean their room. That was their will. My will is that you clean your room, okay? If you do it, as soon as you get your room clean, we will go have ice cream. That's how you bribe your kids, okay, with health food, all right? And, and, so, and so what was the parents' will? Clean the room. Who, who impacted the timing? The kids, because they're not gonna get ice cream until it's done. Might have been done within 20 minutes or it might have been done a week from then. And so God's will is not always being done. Um, and, and Jesus says we need to pray that it happened. Secondly, uh, assumption, it's God's will that we experience a little bit of heaven on earth right now. He says, pray that your kingdom will come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, God wants heaven, the principles, the values of heaven, peace, joy, love, patience, goodness, kindness, long-suffering, all of these attitudes and values. God wants a little bit of heaven wherever his church is, wherever his church. We celebrate healings when they happen. We heard about an incredible one uh, yesterday, uh, one of our team was on a mission trip to Cuba and there was a young man who was all full of cancer. And uh, they prayed for him and they found out just before church last night that they had a new scan on this young man and there wasn't cancer anywhere. That's just amazing, that's amazing, it really is. But you know what that is? That's the kingdom of heaven on earth. So we are to experience the kingdom of heaven, we, we, we can. And then number three, God's kingdom culture is so radically different than American or worldly culture that we can expect some culture shock when we walk in God's kingdom. Now, Jesus outlines attitudes and kingdom values and culture in what's called the Sermon on the Mount. And the scripture that we get is from the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter five, he talks about attitudes. There's the Beatitudes. How many of you have ever read the Beatitudes? Okay, I'm not gonna go through them today. Those are the attitudes of the kingdom. And then he talks a little bit about the culture. And What I wanna do, I wanna talk about three ways our kingdom culture, or our culture is, is different than the culture of the kingdom. Here's the first one. In our culture, it's expected that we love our friends, okay? In kingdom culture, it's expected that we love our enemies. Culture shock, culture shock. It's not American to do this. Matthew chapter five and verse 43, Jesus teaching on kingdom culture. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. I just wanna stop there for a second. Who said that? Who said that? See, when we study scripture, you can skim scripture and get good things because the Holy Spirit applies his word. But to really, really get the meat of what God is trying to say and apply it to culture, you kinda gotta know what was being said, who was it being said to, 
What were the, impl- uh, 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 the, the impacts or the implications is the word that I want on the current culture of the time and then how can we apply that to our culture? Does that make sense? And so Jesus says, you heard that it was said, the question that I had in my mind when I read that is who said it? Is this something that the Old Testament says? That like the New Testament, Jesus says the law is love, love, love everybody, but the Old Testament, it says love your enemy. I used to read this and feel like that, that was what it was saying. We'll, we'll talk about that. Let's look at it. I just want you to think about who said it. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Culture shock. That you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you put yourself in the good or righteous category, you, you don't want God to send rain. Let's just talk about crops, okay? You want there to be a drought on your enemy. Jesus says, no, that's, that's not the kingdom. You gotta love everybody. You love your friends and you love your enemies. So here's the question. Is, is Jesus teaching something different than what the Old Testament taught? Is it like the New Testament is love and the Old Testament has some love but it, there are certain people that you hate? Um, I don't think so. Let's take a look at what the Old Testament says. Uh, in Leviticus 19 and verse 17, it says, do not hate fellow Israelites in your heart. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And that kind of defines, says love your neighbor as yourself, and it defines your neighbor as what? Fellow Israelites. People within your tribe. How have you know that when you get a, even a tribe together that kind of thinks the same way, there are gonna be people that hurt one another. There are gonna be people that are out for their own gain. There are gonna be enemies within your tribe. And Jesus said, or the Old Testament said, you can't hate them. You gotta love everybody. Love your neighbor as yourself within the tribe of Israel. So maybe there are some people you can hate. Let's go on, if they're not in Israel. Leviticus 19 says, when a foreigner resides among you in your land, uh-oh, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Love them as yourself, for you were foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. And so he says, okay, you've gotta love all the Israelites, everybody in your tribe, but it doesn't just stop there. All the foreigners too, who's that? That's all y'all. <laughs> That's everybody. That's everybody. So the Old Testament teaches the same thing that Jesus was saying. In fact, let me give you one further because it'll help you. Proverbs 24 and verse 17 says, do not gloat when your enemy falls because when they stumble, do not let your heart rejoice or the Lord will see and disapprove and turn his wrath away from them, okay? It doesn't say, it says you're gonna have enemies, okay? You're gonna have enemies. We make enemies, and enemies become friends and all this kind of stuff. You're gonna have enemies. But it doesn't say anything about hating them. In fact, quite the opposite. He's saying, if your ex is a complete and utter jerk, nobody lift your hand on that. <laughs> and they have treated you terribly, and they finally get theirs. Don't gloat. Don't gloat. When the girl that used to be your best friend 
who stole the heart of your boyfriend. You remember how that ached in your heart? And she finally gets her heart broken? (laughs) Don't gloat. Don't go on Facebook and say anything. Don't post your Instagram about how wonderful your life is and hers isn't. Don't gloat. When the guy that unjustly fired you or cut corners on a deal that hurt you or hurt your business and then said terrible things about you that hurt your career and they finally get theirs, don't gloat. Why not? Because there's a God factor in the whole thing. It says God is at work. He alone is the just judge. Nobody ever gets away with anything. You gotta trust God on this. Now, he may not judge the way that you want it to be judged, but he knows the heart. There isn't a just judge on the planet. There are judges that do the best they can, but we all have our own biases, but God doesn't. And he's at work bringing about repentance, and it says, He'll turn away his wrath. In other words, if you get all up in the middle of it, God will say, do it your way. It's gonna pollute your attitude, it's gonna mess up your current relationships, and it's gonna mess up the judgment that I had on your enemy. And so the Old Testament, or the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, clearly teaches us to love our friends and enemies. So, so is Jesus teaching something different than the Old Testament. He says, you have heard it said. Let me give you just a real quick lesson in kind of discerning God's will from from the Bible. There is a difference between it is written and you've heard it said. You got that? Jesus sometimes says, it is written. You remember when Satan came and tempted him in the desert? And he said, it is written, man cannot live by bread alone. What's he doing? He's quoting from the Old Testament. He's teaching from, he's quoting. It is written is a quote. When he says, you have heard it said, usually he's correcting a modern day, current day of his time misinterpretation of scripture. So he's not saying the Old Testament said this. There's somebody who's trying to lead God's people astray. And in this case, if we look at history just a little bit, and we know the culture that he's in, and we know the crowds that are surrounding him, Jesus is contradicting a popular political belief of the time. That's a popular belief among the zealots that says, love your neighbor, but hate Rome. Hate your enemy. If you understand Israel at the time, it's under Roman occupation, But Rome actually allows them to have religious freedom and all this. But recently, uh, the, the emperor of Rome has created a new tax for Israel. And it's very, very unpopular. Very, very unpopular. And a little bit later in Jesus' ministry, they try to pull him in on a political deal. You remember when they said, should you pay taxes to Caesar or, or you know, God? And Jesus wouldn't let him pull him into that? particular political arena. He said, you know, whose picture is on it? Why did they do that? Because it was a big issue at the time. And there was a political group. There were four political groups at that that time. There were the uh, Sadducees and the Pharisees and the Essenes and a fairly new one called the Zealots. And they said, this is wrong what Rome is doing. 
We wanna resist it and we'll resist it with violence if necessary. And oh, by the way, these guys did resist it with violence and it was because of these guys that Israel, that Jerusalem was destroyed about 30 years after Jesus died and went to heaven. And he predicts it in Matthew chapter 24 and that's a whole nother, it's a whole nother sermon. So the people in the crowd are going, okay, we can love God, but we, yeah, that's, that's, that makes sense. We, we really shouldn't love the Romans, hate the Romans. And Jesus stands up and speaks to the political leaders of the day and the people that were there and said, no, this is not how it is. There, there were, you know, even in Jesus' disciples, Simon was a zealot, not Simon Peter, but there's another Simon that you don't hear a lot about, but he's named the zealot. He was part of the zealot party. Came to follow Jesus probably because he thought he was gonna overthrow the government of the time. There were a lot of zealots. Paul, the apostle, a lot of people think that he was possibly a zealot and that's why he was killing Christians because it went from, oh, we hate Rome to we hate anybody that doesn't agree with our opinion. Okay? We hate it. Does that sound familiar? Does Jesus' teaching apply to our culture today? You bet it does. We are so polarized. That's what I love about the church. This is the one place during the week. I don't care which ballot box you vote in. This is the one unpolarized place <laughs> in the week. And we are so polarized. And there are some that, that play on that, that, that want that to happen, okay? And... Uh, you know, I mean, we've got a cancel culture. I talked about that a few weeks ago, that if, if you, you know, are on one side of the political spectrum and anybody sees you, you know, hobnobbing Ellen DeGeneres with George Bush, or even this week, who was the guy, uh, Vince Vaughn, who was caught at the uh, national championship game actually shaking hands with Donald Trump. And there were people that said, we're gonna cancel him. And it goes all the way around, all the way around. If you say something good about, you know, somebody that has a belief on another side of the political spectrum, we, uh, we, 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 we do it in a certain way here in America. And the point I wanna make is, it isn't kingdom. It is not the way the kingdom operates. In fact, Rick Warren said this. He said, our culture has accepted two huge lies. The first is that if you disagree with someone's lifestyle, you must fear or hate them. And the second is that to love someone means you agree with everything that they believe or do. He said both are nonsense. You don't have to compromise convictions to be compassionate. I love that. Martin Luther King, hey, by the way, there's MLK Day tomorrow and they're having a parade in Charleston and I'm proud to say that there's gonna be a bunch of sea coasters that are gonna be walking in the parade. And if you'd like to do that, you just go to Johnson Haygood Stadium at 9.30, look for the seacoast flag and, and be nice, okay? <laughs> Always be nice, but when there's a flag there, especially be nice. <laughs> Martin Luther King said, we must discover the power of love. The redemptive power of love. That's why Jesus said, love your enemies because if you hate your enemies, you have no way to redeem and transform your enemies. If you transform yourself back to when he's talking about this, he's, it's, it's a nasty time. And he says, yes, <laughs> you know, uh, go for change, do what you've gotta do. 
but do it in love. I think he got it. By the way, there's no greater example of that modern day than right here in Charleston. It was in 2015 when nine wonderful church members were murdered and I sat in the courtroom when those nine families stood up and said, we forgive you, we forgive you. And our nation looked at that and they said, is that even possible? You know what that was? That's the culture of the kingdom. That's the culture of the kingdom. I'm not getting to this whole message because this is so good, so don't worry about filling in all the blanks. Because I got something else I want to say about this that might be offensive, and it's okay. (laughs) Jesus would say, don't get caught up in all of this. That's another kingdom. You be different. Work for change. That's fine. But pray for your enemies and those who disagree or see the world differently. And we have a great opportunity to bring kingdom culture shock to our community over the next few months. Sometimes I feel like I'm alone in crying out in this stuff, and I'm I'm sure I'm not, but I don't care. I want Seacoast to be an example that's different, that's people that, that love each other, maybe disagree, but we disagree agreeably. Don't get caught up in the downward spiral of our current culture. Over the next few months until the next election, and this next two weeks is gonna be pretty volatile too, but until the next election, there will be hundreds of millions of dollars spent trying to get you to hate your enemy. You'll see political ads, you know, and whoever's running the ad, they're bright and charming and they have a wonderful family, and then they talk about the other guy. And suddenly it goes black and white and the music's terrible and you should hate them, they're awful. (laughs) Choose who you wanna vote for, but don't get sucked in. Don't bite. Just do it kingdom ways, within the culture of the kingdom. Does that make sense? Okay, since you like that, let me go some more on that. (laughs) I wish there were no yard signs and bumper stickers, but that's up to you. Because when you see a bumper sticker that says something, and you look at the driver and you go, I cannot believe you support them. (laughs) But do what you're gonna do. But don't you be retweeting stuff or posting on your Facebook and Instagram stuff that is hateful about other people. Jesus isn't driving that, okay? Jesus is not driving that. It's totally different than the culture of the kingdom. All right, I'm gonna do one more point. Number two, in our culture, only actions matter. In the kingdom culture, even the intent matters, okay? Look at uh, Matthew 21, 21, or 22. It says, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, And anybody who murders will be subject to judgment. I haven't murdered anybody. Feels good. But I tell you that anybody who's angry, uh uh-oh, with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother, racha. What's racha? You idiot. Have you ever said that? Don't raise your hand. 
okay? Look what happens. Is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, you ever called anybody fool? You fool. He says, we'll be in danger of the fire of hell. Ooh, whoa, whoa, whoa. In contrasting current culture and kingdom culture, Jesus tackles how attitudes and words matter. Just because you haven't acted on your anger by killing somebody doesn't cut it in the kingdom. If you're harboring grudges and you're angry and saying stuff, you're in danger of judgment. He's saying it's not just actions, but it's intent that matters. You ever said, I haven't killed anybody, but I'd like to. Okay, there we go. There we go. The question, what do you do with your anger? In the kingdom, is it ever right to be angry? Some people stuff their anger, that's not helpful. Others vent it, that's not helpful. Jesus was very obviously angry in Matthew 21 when he flipped over tables of money changers in the temple, you remember that? He said they've, they've turned the house of prayer into a den of thieves and he, he's, he's mad, he's angry, he's angry. Um, but apparently he didn't sin in his anger because he had no sin. A couple of questions that help you discern whether your anger is righteous or unrighteous. You gotta ask, why am I angry? Why am I angry? Jesus wasn't angry because they were selling Seacoast swag and worship CDs in the house of God. Some people think that. It had nothing to do with that. What this was is, in fact, they had, a, they were, they had legitimate stores there because they were doing um, you know, animal sacrifices in the temple and they had to have the right bird or the right whatever and, um, and, and they couldn't bring them from how far they walked and so you'd, you'd buy your sacrifice there. It's okay, it's fine. But some of the people there were price gouging and they were especially taking advantage of the poor and Jesus was upset. He was angry because they're abusing his father's house and they were making others suffer as well. See, righteous anger is a response to sin or the mistreatment of others or an attack on the kingdom of God. It should make us angry when kids are bullied or when people are being enslaved or trafficked or when people do evil things in the name of God. We ought to get angry about that. But unrighteous anger typically occurs when our anger is caused by an attack on our own pride. Somebody tries to hurt me or insults me and we respond by doing the same thing back. So why am I angry? The second question is how am I acting because of my anger? Righteous anger seeks restoration, but unrighteous anger seeks destruction. Jesus wanted to restore the temple. He didn't want to destroy people. He wanted to restore the temple to its original purpose and he has to take aggressive action or the abuse will continue. Unrighteous anger seeks to destroy or hurt the other person. So here's the question. What do you do with your anger? When you're angry, maybe you're angry at somebody that's, that's done you wrong. What do you do? Simple answer. Not an easy answer. Simple answer. Trust God. Trust God. One more scripture. It's not on your outline sheet, but I think we've got it on the screen. 1 Peter 2, 22, if you wanna write it down, it's very, very important. Peter's talking about Jesus on the cross. And he said, he committed no sin, 
No deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. And here's the key part of that verse. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. I mentioned earlier that God is the just judge, that nobody ever gets away with anything. And usually that's what drives our anger is they're getting away with it. No, no. You gotta trust God on this. Gotta trust God. Is he better equipped to bring judgment? Now it won't always be the kind of judgment you want. But let me tell you something. If you take up that judgment, it will spoil your attitude and your heart and your spirit. And you'll no longer be bringing heaven to earth you'll be bringing the current culture everywhere you go. So the, current, the culture of the kingdom is about loving even our enemies, being careful with not just actions but attitudes. Okay, I'll fill in the blank for you. In our culture, everybody's trying to get to a better place. In kingdom culture, we're trying to make our current place better. <laughs> you know, in our culture, we live for the weekends. Wednesday is hump day because we're almost to Friday, but we're not quite there. Everybody wants to go to Margaritaville. You know, if I could just get away, go to the islands. Every John Grisham book ends with a hero on a beach in a chair, sipping pina colada with not a worry in his mind. Even religiously, we look forward to the sweet by and by. But in kingdom culture, he, he says, pray that heaven be brought to earth. You don't have to go somewhere, change your zip code, whatever, to be right in the middle, in the center of God's will. Because wherever you go, God wants you to bring kingdom culture with you. When you go to the restaurant today, you bring kingdom culture with you. You bring just a little bit of heaven on earth. When you go to school on Tuesday, you bring a little bit of heaven with you. When you go to work, you bring a little bit of heaven with you because you're walking in the culture of the kingdom because that's who God's called us to be. Let's stand for closing prayer. Let's be a part of culture shock this year. What do you think? Huh? We have an opportunity. We have an opportunity. We're gonna become better at loving our friends and our enemies. We're gonna become better at acting with good intent, choosing kingdom words, and dealing with anger properly. And we're gonna allow God to use us in good deeds to expand the kingdom and to make the world a better place. Now we're gonna pray, and we're gonna pray together, and we're gonna pray the Lord's Prayer. And we're gonna go old school with it, because that's how I learned it. We're gonna old school, not this new language. We're gonna act like it's King James. And if you know this prayer, close your eyes and pray it to the Lord. If you don't, that's okay. Or, or if you're like me and you're leading the whole congregation and worried that you'll start us off on a wrong phrase, go ahead and read it. But we're gonna pray this as Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us 
our trespasses as we forgive those that trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen.